about sharing Jesus. Before we get into the word-by-word study, I want to remind you that everything we're learning in this series of messages and out of chapter 10 is all predicated on what Jesus said the end of chapter 9. We can't really understand chapter 10 until we read what he said going into his teaching. Matthew chapter 9, let's read it again, verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he turned and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And here is the only prayer request we have recorded of Jesus. He said in verse 38, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And he's talking about us, those of us that are part of the kingdom of God. We are the workers. The question is, are we working? Are we doing what God has called us to do? Acts 1.8 says the Holy Spirit was given that you might be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then he sends the 12 out and he gives some specific directions that help us to know how we can share our faith in that context of being one of the workers in the kingdom of God. Some are called to be pastors, some are called to be evangelists, some are called to be prophets and apostles, but we're all called to share our faith in Jesus with those around us. So last week, we looked at the first uh, 15 verses of Matthew. And I want to do a quick review to remind you what we learned, or maybe you weren't here. Uh, Hopefully, this will help. We learned seven things in the first 15 verses of Matthew. First of all, we learned that God sends you with the gifts and the abilities that he's already given you. So if you do not know how to sing you're probably not going to be involved in music ministry. If you are an Eeyore by nature, you're probably not going to be a very good encourager to somebody. God generally uses us in the giftings, in the callings, in the personality that he has given us. Number two, we have to ask ourselves, who are we called to? Some are called to work with children. Some are called to work with youth. Some are called to work with seniors. Some are called to work with other nationalities. Some are called to work with others who might even have different religious beliefs. Who are you called to? And a hint is, where do you work? Where do you live? Because generally, God is calling us to those already around us. Number three, we learn that the message is good news. Say it with me. Good news. We read it in Matthew 9. We see that Jesus proclaimed good news. Words of hope. Words of healing. Our message is not to remind people of their sin. They know that they are in a sinful situation, that they are in a situation that is destructive. They need the good news. They need to know that God loves them. God can set them free. Number four, it's all about helping other people. 
It's not about their, our project to get them to convert to our way of thinking. No, it's about helping other people. Jesus himself said, I have come not to be served. I've come to serve others. He met people right at their need. Number five, Jesus taught us that we need to double check our motives. Sometimes we want to serve people because of what we receive in return. So we always need to come to the Lord with transparency and say, Lord, show me my heart. Number six, surround yourself with loyal, worthy people. And then number seven, we need to sidestep rejection. When you're rejected, you have to say, well, sorry, I'm going to continue on this path because this is the path that Jesus has called me to. You sidestep it. And now, in verse number 16, Jesus begins to unpack that thought about sidestepping rejection. In this section, he addresses a very unfortunate but a very real aspect of sharing Jesus. That is, you will be rejected. There will be those who oppose you. You might even be in a situation where people are going to persecute you for your faith. Those are normal. They're to be expected. Jesus doesn't want us to be surprised. So in this passage, he tells us, his disciples, if you follow me faithfully, if you deny your cross, if you walk with me, you will be mistreated. You will be rejected because I was. And no student is above their master. As you and I strive to live for Jesus, as we strive to do his well, as we strive to be effective we're going to ask ourselves from time to time the question, man, what's going on? I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to help people. How come I'm facing all this opposition? It's a natural thing. The fact is you can ask that question until you're blue in the face, and you probably will never come up with a satisfactory answer. A lot of it has to do with spiritual warfare. We understand that. It's just part of the package. If you want to do good, there's going to be people who stand in your way. They're going to say, oh, don't do that for him. He doesn't deserve it. Well, everything God's done for me, I haven't deserved either. It's not about whether we deserve it. Instead of wondering why they're there, you're better off just deciding that you've got to deal with those who are going to question you, who are going to oppose you. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you're taking notes. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I know that's not a promise that we preach to you very often, but it is a promise, a promise of Jesus. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. So Jesus prepares us. In Matthew chapter 10, in this passage of scripture, he prepares us for the work of ministry. He warns us about these hard times that we're going to have to endure, and he gives us some really clear instruction on how to deal with difficult people. These words he spoke to his disciples still apply to us today. Even though the context is different, the spiritual principle remains the same. 
So if you're facing opposition at home or at work, uh, in your ministry, here's some things that you can put into practice what Jesus taught. And we're going to look at four things today. Number one, dealing with opposition, persecution, (laughs) be soft-hearted, but not soft-headed. Be soft-hearted but not soft-headed. I tell young pastors all the time, you need to develop tough skin, but always make sure you have a tender heart. Jesus said in verse 16, let's look at verse 16. That's where we, uh, where we stopped last week. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That doesn't sound like a very good situation to me. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. He's saying here that you can be worldly wise without being worldly. Think about that for a moment. Don't put yourself in a position where people can take advantage of you. We're not called to be doormats. We're not called to be marshmallows. In Matthew chapter 22, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they were trying to trick him into either defending or condemning the Roman government. And they did it by asking him a question concerning taxes. (laughs) It was a trap. And they knew it. If Jesus defended the Roman government, well, they could accuse him of being disloyal to the Jewish tradition. If he condemned the Roman government, they could accuse him of treason and report him to the authorities and have him arrested. So either way, whether he defended the government or whether he condemned the government. And you know, Jesus didn't fall for that trick. Why? Because he was soft-hearted, but he wasn't soft-headed. He said in Matthew 22, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me or trick me? Show me the coin used for paying taxes. And they brought him a coin, a denarius. This is in Matthew 22, verses 18 to 21. And he asked him, hey, whose portrait's on this coin? And whose inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what is God's. See, there was so much about the Roman government that Jesus could have criticized. Just like there's a lot about our government that we can criticize. But he was not, and we should not allow ourselves to be manipulated into a debate about politics. Because that is not our purpose of being. He was as innocent as a dove, but he also was shrewd enough to know that the Pharisees were trying to set him up. And there's people in our community that are trying to set us up as well. I have a friend that I met uh, when I was doing my master's study down at ORU. His name's Devon. He lives in Houston, Texas. Great guy kept a relationship over the last 10 years with him. And he loves to say, this ain't my first rodeo. 
Now, when his friends or his employees, he runs a big real estate company, try to put a fast one on him, pull the wool over his eyes, he says, I like to remind him, no friend, it's not my first rodeo. Meaning that I'm not going to be easily duped. It amazes me sometimes how completely clueless sometimes we are (laughs) because we just don't recognize the signs right in front of us. You can't be an effective parent if you don't observe your kids. You can't be an effective leader if you're easily deceived. Jesus tells us, open your eyes. Don't be soft-headed. Don't be foolishly naive. Find out how the world really works. Dealing with the opposition. Now listen, you have to be street smart, but you have to be soft-hearted without being soft-headed. Get it? (laughs) Colossians 4 or 5. Conduct yourself with wisdom. Not naivety. Not innocence. We should conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, but making the most of every opportunity. So I think that's really the lesson here that Jesus is telling us, is that we've got to be wise. Don't be soft-headed, but always be soft-hearted. Why? Because secondly, he goes on to say, don't ever underestimate what other people are capable of doing. And it's not just other people. It's scary to think about what you and I are actually capable of doing without the leading and the constraints of the Holy Spirit. Because we're born into sin. We're still battling the flesh. We still have that sinful nature. Don't underestimate what others are capable of doing. For many people, including those in airline security, the thought that an airplane itself would be used as a weapon of attack was never considered before September 11th of 2001. In that way, we underestimated our enemy. We underestimated what they were capable of doing. And because we underestimated of them, they took advantage of us. We know that as Americans. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says the same thing, beginning with verse 17, and we'll read down through verse 22. Be on your guard against man. They'll hand you over to the local councils and they'll flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit gives us the words. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. That's terrible. 
But Jesus is saying, don't underestimate the evil of man. Verse 22, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Hallelujah. May the Holy Spirit help us stand firm no matter what opposition we might face in our workplace, in our home, in our community. Man, those are really disturbing words when you analyze them. I mean, who wants to consider the idea that somebody close to you could betray you? Even a family member, but it happens all the time. The very people that you are trying to help, that you're trying to serve, you're using those seven principles we taught last week, yet Jesus says, you need to do that, but you also need to be aware that they can turn on you real fast. I know what happens. I, I know too many examples. I got a few examples of my own life. You know, you think, man, what about the guy whose wife left him for his very best friend? Can't even imagine. What about the pastor whose associate engineered some kind of coup and got the guy fired and took over his job? I can't even imagine that heartbreak. You know, I enjoy football, I enjoy sports, and back in the, in the 90s, uh, Dallas Cowboys really were the team under Jimmy Johnson. Now, I'm not a big Jimmy Johnson fan, I'm just using this as an illustration. Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, hired Jimmy Johnson to turn the team around, to revitalize the program. And what did Jimmy Johnson do? He took them to two consecutive Super Bowls. And guess what his reward was? He got fired. Now that's kind of typical Jerry Jones. We understand that. If you know anything about sports. But what I'm saying is, even after this guy had succeeded in the mission that he was given, he still got fired. We need to be aware of the capacity that people have for disloyalty. And some of you may be thinking, man, I don't like what you're saying, Pastor. Are you suggesting that I should be suspicious of everyone? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Neither is what Jesus is saying here. But he is saying that we need to be realistic about the world we live in, about the spiritual battle Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. We've got to keep our eyes open in dealing with other people. Don't underestimate them. And it's not the people. It's not flesh and blood that we war against. It's spiritual powers. It's always God versus Satan. And we have to remember that we do not have enemies in flesh and blood. The image of God is stamped in every person who is on the face of the earth. It's not them, it's the spirit behind what causes them to do. So he's saying here, persecution's going to come, opposition's going to come, and it's going to come from those in the most unlikely places. You might think, oh, my boss, who is just an atheist, You know, I've got to be on guard. 
But no, maybe it's that best friend of yours who claims to be a Christian who actually is going to turn and betray you and break your heart. Now, Jesus wants us to build relationships both ways, but he's saying here, and he said it, be on guard. When it comes to what others are capable of doing, don't be naive. Be street smart. And then he goes on to the third point, and that is, but avoid trouble. Avoid trouble when you can. Verse 23 says, when you're persecuted in one place, what does it say? Does it say, stay there and fight? No. It says, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. We're not in this thing to fight. Jesus already has won the battle. He went to the cross. He defeated death. We know who wins at the end. But it says here, avoid trouble when you can. And this is the way the scripture says it. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Is Jesus saying here that we should run from all conflict? That we shouldn't stand up for what we believe? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. However, we shouldn't seek out persecution. See, there's this almost like a Messiah um, complex that some people get. Like, they really want to be persecuted because it makes them feel real holy and righteous. So they look for persecution, and they find persecution all over the place. Keep your eyes open. Deal with conflict in a healthy way, but avoid trouble when you can. Don't intentionally campaign for opposition. I know some Christians who, they just like to pick a fight. If they know a brother believes a certain way, they will immediately begin attacking that and sharing what they believe. I mean, they're just out for a fight. And Jesus is saying, no, we're not out there to fight. Remember, our news is good news, right? Avoid trouble when you can. Because, friends, most battles are a waste of time. I just tell you that. They drain your energy. They deplete your resources. They divert your focus from what Jesus wants you to do. They're a waste of time. Unless the Holy Spirit softens a person's heart. Unless the Father reveals in a, a, a moment of epiphany, that person's not going to change anyway. You can argue till you're blue in the face. You can fight and you can leave feeling really good. Oh, I won that battle. But that person's not going to change until there's an inward revelation. That's why instead of fighting, it's really better to, what did Jesus say? Pray for those who oppose you. Because it's prayer that's going to change that person's point of view, not all your theological reasoning. Sorry. <laughs> Most battles are a waste of time. I'm kind of walking through a difficult time with a pastor, not 
in our community, not even in our state. But he's been involved in this leadership struggle in this church for the past year. And there are people in his congregation just trying to muscle him out. I mean, it's just really, it's a sad deal. It's sad for him. It's sad for the congregation. It's sad for the church. It's sad for the kingdom of God. It's a waste of time. He told me, you know, we were really growing and reaching a lot of people for Jesus until this conflict began. He says, it bothers me because I used to devote the majority of my time to winning souls. Now I devote the majority of my time to trying to save my own hide. And I thought, oh man, that's of the enemy. Diverting his focus, diverting the leadership's focus, diverting the church's focus. So when we deal with those who oppose us, there's, there's got to come a time we say, you know what? I've just got better things to do with my time and my energy. I think I'll just move on, like Jesus said. I just move on. Because I can be more effective some other place. That doesn't mean that every time you have a problem at work, that you should just leave and get a new job. Again, don't miss understand what I'm trying to teach this morning, but it does mean that you should sidestep conflict whenever possible, and you should never sacrifice the chance to achieve effectiveness or fruitfulness for Jesus just to prove you're right on some point. The fourth thing, the final thing today, I think Jesus is teaching us is to clarify our priorities. Clarify our priorities. We'll read beginning with verse 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Let me read that again. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. For you are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I'll also acknowledge before him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. That's going to be the end of our, our text today. To next Sunday, we'll pick up at verse 34, and we'll finish the chapter. But let me say a few words about this final uh, portion of Scripture. I believe what Jesus is saying is to clarify our priorities. And that's often the best results of opposition. 
Ask yourself, well, I'm being opposed. Why am I being opposed? It gives us the opportunity to reevaluate our priorities, to think about what's really important. What should our priorities be? Our priority should be follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And he's saying, man, the things I've suffered, you're going to suffer too. And we need to keep that in mind. We need to be ready for it. Another priority is when we strive to please God, it helps when we don't always please men. Because we all like men to like us and women to affirm us, and, but sometimes we can become people pleasers. And that's not our priority. Our priority is to please God. I think every one of us in the building or those watching online today would have to admit that one reason opposition is painful is that we care sometimes more about what those people think than we do what God thinks. Let's be honest. Sometimes we care more about pleasing others than we do by pleasing God. That's why I say all the time, the goal of every day is when you put your head on the pillow is to have Jesus smiling, saying, good job, well done today, Jerry. It's his affirmation to me and to you that should really matter. Someone once said, might have been John Maxwell, I don't remember, some business guru, said, I don't know what the secret to success is, but I know the secret to failure is to try to please everybody. And there's some real truth to that. If your goal is to please people, then when they decide they don't like you, it's going to keep you awake at night. It's going to cause you to doubt your God-given calling. It'll tempt you to compromise your convictions. You can't be a people pleaser and a God pleaser. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, and now, am I now trying to win the approval of, of men or of God? If I were still trying to please man, I'd not be a servant of Christ. Galatians 1.10. So we need to please God. We need to speak boldly. When you face opposition, you face a choice. You can respond like the scriptures tell us to. We can avoid conflict as much as possible. Doesn't mean that he wants us to shy away from truth. Doesn't mean that he wants us to water down our beliefs. But he doesn't want us to go through life suspicious of everyone. But he wants us to make a stand for his name. So friends, I believe as we share our faith, which is one of the values of Wenatchee First Assembly, sharing our faith, we have to understand there will be opposition, there will be people who aren't going to want to hear what we have to say, but it's time to clarify our priorities. Make sure God is at the top of that list. If we want to achieve greatness, effectiveness, if we want to bear much fruit... We're going to face some opposition. It's that biblical promise. But it doesn't have to sideline us. It doesn't have to sidetrack us. 
In fact, I have found, and you probably have in your own life too, you can draw strength in conflict because it generally makes you rely more upon God. You can actually become stronger when you're being opposed. And in Matthew 10, Jesus suggests be street smart in the way we approach life, be soft-hearted, but don't be soft-headed. Be on guard against those who may try to oppose you. Avoid conflict and argument whenever possible. And let those times help you clarify your priorities, making sure that he is first in our lives. Because even in the midst of opposition, that verse 29 is true. Jesus cares about you. If he cares about the sparrow, he cares about you. He's not oblivious to your suffering. Even when you are being treated unfairly, Jesus, in his providential care, will take care of you if you trust him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this portion of scripture that deals with real life issues. The fact that you've called us not just to receive this gospel message, but to share this gospel message. The fact that when we do share it, that we are going to face some opposition, maybe even some persecution. But God, you've given us some very definitive ways of handling that. And I pray that today's teaching out of Matthew 10 will help each of us in the days ahead as we are led by your Holy Spirit to share what Jesus has done in our life. And I take time at the end of this teaching to pray for every person in this auditorium, every person who's watching online, for those who are facing opposition, whether it's a spouse or a child, whether it's a parent, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, whatever level of opposition it is, even if it's persecution, I just pray, oh God, that you will give your people strength, that you will help them to stay on focus, that you will help them to walk away, to create those boundaries they will remain healthy in you. I pray, oh God, that you will help us to know that we will suffer some persecution. But Lord, that you will give us the giftings of your Holy Spirit that we might stand strong to the end because that's our desire, Lord. That's our desire. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.